Welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology. This is a space where we seek to create and cultivate healthy conversations between those things we geek out on and the philosophical and theological questions that often arise out of our fandoms. Like, what does it mean to be human? What makes a hero? What makes a villain? How do the stories and narratives we geek out on shape how we live in the world? We are your priests to the geeks. We aren't all ordained, but we see ourselves as mediators at the intersection of geek culture and going deeper in our faith. We don't always have to agree, but we do respect each other. And we see everyone as a beloved child of God. Everyone geeks out on something, so come geek out with us and enjoy the show. You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Hey guys, Joshua here. You may have noticed last week we missed our Christmas drive-in. And if you were part of our Facebook group and you voted for of your favorite animated Christmas drive-ins for us to do this month, you might have been worried that we missed one. Well, don't fret. We are making up for it this week. We are doing two of the four you voted for this week. Just like when you go to a drive-in, you get a double feature. You can watch one movie, then immediately turn around and watch the next movie on the other screen. Well. Here you are. We have a double feature this drive-in. We have first coming up will be Dr. Seuss's The Grinch with Elizabeth Pangolin and Clyde and TJ Blackwell. Afterwards, you'll get your second screening. This time we'll be featuring uh, Nick Polk and James Dimmel reviewing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So buckle up or don't. You're probably parked. It's a drive-in and enjoy the show. If you are ready for your heart to grow three sizes bigger, then get ready for this amazing drive-in. We are going to discuss the one, the only, Mr. Grinch. And fun fact, listeners, I just watched this for the first time today. So I am super, super qualified to talk about this. Joining me today is my host, TJ. How's it going, TJ? Uh, It's going well, thank you. And of course, I am Elizabeth Payne Clyde. We're so excited to bring you another episode of our Christmas series, Drive-In. So we are buckling up and we're going way, way back to the original air date was December 18th, 1966, which yeah. explains why I've never seen this. I've seen the... No, I feel like... I'm Carrie we, one. I feel like we still one. should have seen this. I feel like I... I like I, It looked familiar when I rewatched it today. It looked very familiar, but I did not recall at all. I think I've only seen the Jim Carrey one up until this point. Of course, I read the book, but yeah, I'm 89% sure. Yeah, but yeah, today we're just talking about the classic, the perennial Christmas movie. I feel like it's kind of surpassed most others. I can't believe how short it was. That's why yeah. it's taken us so long to do this episode because I needed to find time to watch it, thinking it was going to be a 90 minute movie. And when I brought it up, they 26 minutes. Yep. And so it's they, not even a movie. 
No, it's not even, it's barely an episode. Yeah. It's like, we, we would barely call that an episode today. Mm-hmm. Episode today is like 40. Yep. I agree. Yeah. But right. it's so good. Now, remind me, because it's been a while since I read the books. For this animated movie, did they pretty much just read the books as the narrative? Yeah. That, that was it. That was kind of like the style back in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. TJ just sneezed, so God bless you, TJ. Thanks. Yeah, that was rough, actually. Man. Uh, okay, we so have cats, and I'm allergic, so. Oh, fun stuff. So the animation and the visual, of course, this is 1966. So this is just all hand-drawn stuff. But I still appreciate the animation. I appreciate like the the whimsicalness of Whoville, but once again, they kind of just took it. The, it's straight out the book, the classic Dr. Seuss, how the Grinch stole Christmas. So I can only imagine in 1966, this is one of the first like times when they get to see a book come to life in the movies. Because now we're just used to it. We're spoiled. Yeah, this is pure traditional animation, cell shading, hand drawing, one frame at a time. And it's it looks amazing. That's why it still holds up because it was painstakingly done, and it's beautiful, and it's short. And I did enjoy it being short, so there was not a lot of fluff like the Jim Carrey one put in. Though I did miss yeah. a little bit of the fluff. But yeah. for those who may have been living under a rock, the story follows the Grinch, a cynical and grouchy creature who despises Christmas and the joyful celebration of the Who's in the town of Whoville. In an attempt to stop Christmas from coming, the Grinch devised a plan to steal all the presents, decorations, and food from the Who's on Christmas Eve. However, despite his effort, the Who's still come together to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. So, (laughs) I just loved the song, You Are Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Like, that's just, I forgot it was the original with this movie, I guess you could say, because I just assumed yeah. it came afterwards or someone wrote it about the book or about the like animation afterwards, but it's it's so classic. No, this is actually, this is what I really love about like old school animation. They hired musical teams and it was like entire teams, actual like orchestras of people. I think there were 60 musicians that worked on this movie. It's 30 minutes long. Not even. They worked for eight hours total. But it's insane. Yeah. Uh, Boris Karloff is the, you know, I feel like most people just know him as the guy who sang You're Mean One, Mr. Grinch. He is also the voice of the Grinch in this movie and the narrator. Oh, that's good to know. But the You're Mean One, Mr. Grinch was actually written by Dr. Seuss, which is pretty impressive. So I'm like, you can write songs, you can write books, you can just do anything. Good doctor. I don't think he was really a doctor, was he? Mm, no i think he got like an honorary doctorate is what i heard but don't quote me on that i'm i'm gonna google it later i know i know he cheated on his wife i heard he was a racist but you know doesn't you know who cares about we talking about his work how the grinch stole christmas so (laughs) anything else he's done you know we're just gonna not necessarily overlook but not talk about it right now yeah, except for this one last thing. She also had cancer while he was cheating on her. Oh, uh, my goodness. So this is one of the classics. Like, absolutely. When you, you go home, you turn on the TV, it's like 5 p.m. in November, like late November or early December. And it's on CBS or ABC. And you're going to watch this. You're going to watch Rudolph, Frosty. And it's like every night. 
it's great. This is, I feel like there's just not, yeah, it does, it's, does itself a disservice by being 26 minutes short, but it, it is its own complete story. It just but gets told in 26 minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we joked about taking the book and just reading the book because we would be quicker than the actual movie that read the book. But yeah. I almost appreciate not having a lot of the drama and the filler. And it was just, it was straight to the point. Short, sweet, nice. Um, Cindy Lou Who, so tiny, mm-hmm. so cute. And like the when she picked up the ornament, she was just so little. And the ornament was like the size of her whole body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's And it's a testament to Dr. Seuss's own art because what they really did is just take the Seuss illustrations and animate it. Mm-hmm. They just did, you know, as close as they could to his style and they animated it. And it holds up because cell shading is beautiful. Do you have a favorite? It's so hard to like just talk about the animation and not talk about... um the live the live action one with Jim Carrey. Um, fun fact, listeners, in case you did not realize, TJ and I, this is our second recording of The Grinch because we did not follow the assignment and did the wrong one at the beginning of the, drive, <laughs> the drive-in episode. But <clears throat> sorry, I'm still getting over a call. But it's fine. We're here now. But it's so hard to not compare it to the live action. But really, it doesn't really say why The Grinch hated christmas except that the who's were loud he didn't like the singing yeah that's fair though it is fair but now but i mean i feel like technically it didn't get resolved because it's still going to be loud now he's just going to be a part of it so i guess if you can't beat him because he tried to beat him by stealing christmas Mm, but uh, it just feels so hard to talk about now because i'm used to talking about things that are you know like a thousand pages or 400 chapters or a mm-hmm. thousand chapters or 120 minutes. Yeah, I think this is going to be the shortest episode in the podcast history. Yeah, it might be if it were going up by itself, but it's not. So we're good or good or better than it would have been. Uh, mm-hmm. But what do you have like a favorite scene? It's so compact. Uh, it's so compact. I would think my favorite scene is because it has no business being there is whenever they are around the table and the one of the who's with the little trays he opens it and there's another who with a tray walking and then he opens it and there's yeah, another who the with a tray. Scene. and they keep on going and going until it's just a little itty bitty strawberry and the strawberry is like the size of cindy lou's head somehow yeah no that's cute it's super cute but i, I love the heist scene it's so goofy it's so silly and in the animated one and but and once again max steals the show yep he's just like a good the, dog he's such a good dog it doesn't say i want to know the background story of how max and the grinch got together like i feel like that's the movie and the prequel we all need yeah <sighs> yeah i don't know i feel like we did kind of the, the tyler tyler the creator the grinch but no one wants to talk about that one they what created the grinch they, they kind of talked about that one in the tyler the creators the grinch oh the new one mm-hmm I haven't seen that one yet. They cover it a little more. Oh, and now I have to watch it. It's like on my list, but I just, it took me two weeks to watch a 26 minute episode. Yeah. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about the production though, uh, to, to fill time. Please do. Uh, so they actually had like a $300,000 budget for this. But back in, in 1966, that's a whole lot of money. That's a lot of money. 
1966. Uh, you know, this is still pretty much post-war America. I mean, this is like, we're thriving. Let's make kids movies. And really, this technically, the book was only out for less than 10 years. So the book was written in 1957. So, like, this is not, it's not, like, some books, they last for decades before they get a movie. Yeah. And back in this day, it was like, all right, you get you get a whole movie. Well, uh, not a whole movie, I guess, but it is a movie. Yeah. And then it is, so it is, right, uh, 60 musicians playing a 34-piece orchestra with a 12-voice choir that worked for a total of eight hours on three songs. Turn up the tree, welcome Christmas, and you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. That is crazy. And when you watch this movie, it, it it's easy to miss because we've gotten a lot more used to it now. But in 1966, this is pretty much the first Christmas movie that doesn't talk about the religion or the meaning of Christmas. It's just Christmas. Just community and being thankful. Yeah. I don't even know if they talk about being thankful. It's mainly just community and celebrating. And there's no Santa. Well, he did mention how he dressed up as Saint Nick, like in the song. So I guess there is a Santa. But like the real one. Yeah, that's true. But the figurehead is still there. But also, I was like, where I, I just kind of felt like Santa should have popped up at some point because he was stealing the stockings and the stockings weren't filled. So he was beating Santa. Yeah. So I found a flaw in that logic because then they should have woken up to something if he beat Santa. No, they had no stocking. Oh, so you think Santa was like, Santa oh, no just, Santa just fills the stocking. Mm, okay. So he just took his stuff because it was, he's like, y'all weren't ready for me. And, just left said peace yeah yeah hmm. i don't know i feel like they still could have persecuted him for his crimes of stealing honestly like i thought that too i i'm not very forgiving which you know like thank you for giving me my stuff back but he still did it and then yeah, he got the guest like? of honor of cutting the who roast yeah they should be arrested on like 120 counts of breaking and entering but instead, please cut the who beast of uh, the roast beast. Yeah. But, but I never noticed um, because, you know, math is hard, but his heart was two sizes too small. And then it grew three times bigger. So now he has a nice big old heart. Yeah. Slightly, yeah. slightly bigger than normal. Yeah. Now he's like, he's more loving than normal. I was like, I just assumed he was always average. Like he ended up average with heart, but now I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh look. He ended up with a here. bigger heart, but not so much bigger that would give him real problems. That's good. I mean, yeah. cause we really need, we need the Grinch to the also doesn't, does the other animation since I, I say this still counts cause we're talking animation. Does the new animation talk about where he came from the Grinch? No, I don't really remember. I only um, watched it like when it came out. Mm. see i'm very i i have more questions but that's kind of a good i think a good book or a good movie like it leaves you satisfied but you're still curious to know more of the background like i still want to know more about the grinch i want to know um more about like how he came to being why is he green he's just green but why he's green he could be a replacement christmas tree in the animation because he kind of looks like one yeah that's what they should have done Mm-hmm. They should have used him as the tree. And just hung ornaments on them. A big mm-hmm. good time. 
It was so funny because he was so nervous when Lindy, um, when Cindy who like caught him, but then like whenever it's, and Jim Carrey does such a good job imitating like the face. Like it's just that Grinch smile whenever he knows he's up to no good. So yeah. funny. Like I see little kids with that smile and like, I know you're about to do something really bad. Yeah. It's intrinsic. Mm-hmm. It's part of human nature. We just have a built in evil smile ready. Yeah. I don't know. I wish I could do it like Jim Carrey, but I can't. Oh my gosh. His face just works in magical ways. Yeah. Unhuman ways. Demonic ways, perhaps. Perhaps. But is it wrong to be thankful for his characteristics, even if it came from the not so greatest source? No, I think we should just have his own holiday. Mm, Jim Carrey day. I like it. I like how we're still like not following the assignment and talking about Jim Carrey because he's that good. He's that good. This movie is also great, though. It is a classic. I mean, we wouldn't have the Jim Carrey movie if it wasn't for this movie or the book. So thank you, Dr. Seuss. So any other comments, concerns? Because, I mean, we could I could keep on talking, but I really don't want to drag out a dead horse. Yeah, I would be all in favor of like just doing another one of these. Like if they just remade the Grinch shot for shot, but with different animation, I'd watch it. I don't know if I would watch it because once I love something, it's hard for me. Like it was hard for me to like sit still and watch this one. But I mean, it was good. Like if I have kids one day, we're definitely going to watch it because I want them. The artwork is amazing. The illustration is amazing. The song is amazing. Like everything's amazing about it. I'm just meh. I just have a preference. Yeah. It is one of like the few good things about having a movie that is this short. Uh, it's a regular production schedule. They, I think they produce this for 13 or 14 months. Mm-hmm. So like they had a long time to get 26 perfect minutes of Christmas movie. And I think they did that. And it's, I kind of, I mean, it airs every single year. Like this, this is not going to ever fade away. Yeah. Like, cause we can think of, I mean, maybe it's just me, but like so, some other people that count certain Christmas movies as Christmas classics. I'm like, no, because they're so old now. But like the Grinch, even watching it today, it did not feel super old. Yep. Timeless. Timeless. So any final thoughts, TJ? Honestly, not a bad way to spend 30 minutes if you just happen to find yourself with 30 minutes. Yeah, that is true. I mean, and it will kind of give you a little bit of, if you're struggling to get a little holiday cheer, maybe, you know, this movie will help you think that maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, just means a little bit more. That's the that's the quote I'm leaving you guys with. I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. TJ, anything else? Anything at all? What are you most excited for for Christmas? Christmas. You're just excited for Christmas? I want it to snow. Do you think it does it snow where you're at? Barely. I didn't think so. It's, but I can hope. It, you can hope. I'm just ready for some rest and relaxation and to not be sick anymore. Yeah, good luck with that. Well, maybe I can stop being sick, but I don't know about the rest and relaxation part. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, um, maybe the smallest, the shortest episode in history. I don't know. I'll have to look it up and see. Make sure you uh, check out our other drive-ins where they talked about um, other top animation Christmas 
films that you got to choose. So we are so thankful for your input. input. Make sure you like and subscribe to our channel. If you have not already, uh, give us a rating. I want to know how bad or good of a job we are doing. Once again, thank you so much. And remember to just keep geeking out. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hey, guys, Christian here. Have you ever wondered why you should become a patron? Well, let me help you out. Because if you become a patron, what you can do is have live access to our YouTube exclusives like Comic Book Ketchup, Drinks with Teachers, Manga Mustard, and a companion series that go along with our annual theme. You can be there live commenting with us. We really want you there. You also get access to exclusive merch. We have T-shirts, mugs, handbags, long sleeve shirts all over the place for you, for your help in helping us. Also, we have extra bonus questions for you to look at. We have four to eight times a month doing that. We have exclusive Discord channels for you, discounts at our store, access to any future D&D campaigns, and you can easily access all the patron content through our Spotify page at the top where it says exclusive content for subscribers. Also, one of the new things we're adding is voting privileges for future episode topics. We're going to be doing specific things for you, voted by the patrons. And you also get that extra satisfaction of just helping us out. And we appreciate all you do. Were you born different? Did people make fun of you for it? Only to have proved everyone wrong, wooed your love interest, and saved Christmas? Uh, and do you have a proclivity for stop uh, animation? Uh, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or you may just love uh, the Rankin and Bass Christmas classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about on Systematic Ecology today uh, for our Christmas drive-in. Uh, again, this is Systematic Ecology. We are your priests to the geeks. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Nick Polk. And I am here with the amazing James. Uh, James, how are you today, man? I'm doing well, Nick. It's good to be here. Good to be uh, revisiting a classic Christmas tale and uh, thinking about it with some uh, some theology going on in the background. Oh yeah, I am. Uh, I'm ready for this. Where uh, it's probably one of my. It's it might be my top like classic American TV uh, Christmas. Uh, Christmas TV special. So yeah, it, it. it's iconic. Yeah. It, yeah. Just takes you back to childhood like instantly. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here we are listeners getting in the Christmas spirit. So get your sleighs ready. Um, and, and your, uh, and your, I don't know, your dental tools ready. Cause uh, you know, we're, we're going to be shouting out our boy Hermie every now and then. But before we jump too deeply into Rudolph, uh, let's get our main impressions of this Christmas classic. Um, so, James, I'm going to have you go first. When do you remember first watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? I don't know if I have like a first memory of Rudolph. I think it's just one of those things that's always been in my life. Like, you know, yeah. like before I like had poor memories, like I already knew Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer. Definitely watched it every Christmas with my family growing up. Um, and it was uh, one of my favorites, I think, just because it's like, Got some classic hero vibes behind it. Coming of age story. Um, definitely some, you know, uh, finding yourself and identity and growing. And um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, I would always get pumped to watch it. And Rudolph's an easy character to like. And yeah, so, um, so yeah, I mean, warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feelings watching it now as an adult, but also um, doing some deconstruction <laughs> as I'm watching the Rudolph uh, 
story play out. And uh, I was before we started recording, I, I made a joke to Nick and I was like, uh, you know, the, the context of the story at the end is, you know, Christmas is going to get canceled because of a big snowstorm. And uh, if Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer were to come out today in 2023, Christmas would be canceled for a different reason. And that is the blatant sort of like toxic masculinity (laughs) behind the plot of (laughs) Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Um, which makes sense. Like historically, it came out in like the early 60s. And there's some interesting like early counterculture vibes going on with Rudolph and with Hermie. And even a little bit, I think, with Yukon Cornelius like showing a different kind of, um, you know, what, of what it means to, to be a strong male figure. But so, you know, you, you grow up and you watch the things you love as a kid and, and you notice different things. So, um, Santa was kind of a jerk. Donner was definitely kind of a jerk. Um, don't cover up your nose as kids, even if they're red and glowing, let them shine. So anyways, they got there at the end, but had to fight a snow monster. These things happen. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny just because, like you said, all these things like uh, Santa bullies Rudolph, like he, Rudolph gets bullied and then like the the adult leader bullies him and then his dad's like doesn't defend his son. He's like, what are you? You, you just exposed yourself, you little nerd. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's in this day and age, like it would be, uh, you know, I think I think people generally uh, recognize that bullying is bad and that. uh especially for having a red nose, not, not quite a big deal, but, uh, to be fair without, uh, adversity, there wouldn't be, uh, overcoming and, uh, and growth, I guess. Um, this is, this is true. This is true. Um, I was just thinking, I don't know if that coach, like the coach of the Ranger games, I don't know if he's a named character. I, I forget if he is or not, but he's definitely like, you know, 50 years later, got some title nine investigations going on. Like, <laughs> So definitely, definitely an abusive coach. <laughs> like, be nice to the children you're coaching. Don't bully them. <laughs> so, uh. oh, that's hilarious. I had not even thought about that. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a Netflix documentary about him. Right. And uh, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, you know, as as a kid, also, and I think because. We're both, you know, we're both men. And of course, Rudolph is a dude and he's like this little nerdy guy. And, you know, of course, the girl likes him and uh, people bully him. And of course, when you're like really young, you're like, oh, I'm misunderstood, et cetera, et cetera. And you go through all the things uh, as as young people do through trying to discover yourself and figuring out things like that and, and, and navigating attraction. But before that, kind of the same, I was kind of the same with you, with you, James, that Rudolph has just kind of always been there. Um, sort of like church and and, and things right. in that way where, uh, you know, Wars. right. Yeah. Star Wars. Exactly. You know, grew up watching my dad's VHS set of the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, and so just saw it as it came on TV. We had the the VHS and I, you know, I've got like the box set or whatever of the Christmas classics now. Um, and I don't know, just a lot of warm feelings, a lot of nostalgia and as I revisit it, it's kind of the same deal where, you know, it's not until I really put this outline together that I really kind of did a lot of analysis on it. I've been able to just kind of um, watch it and just kind of seep into the nostalgic enjoyment. Um, but there's there's a lot to this movie, um, uh, good and 
negative things that we can learn from it. So yeah, thankfully, you know, to, to be fair to think about Santa as a bully, I mean, St. Nicholas, you know, defending the creeds back in the day used to, you know, slapped a heretic in the face. So I don't know if that's more in line with the real Santa, which is also probably not good, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, well I mean, Arius kind of deserves it, but <laughs> we'll let Santa slide on that. Um, but that's what happens when you deny the, the divinity of Christ. Um, anyways. Yeah. Here, here. Um, so, you know, we talked about, we, we hinted at this, but we said Rudolph is a classic coming of age tale. Um, and you know, there's some countercultural stuff there, right? There's this twist of making your own way. And Rudolph does go against the grain of what is expected of him. But he also finds a community of misfits like Hermie, who is the elf uh, in Santa's uh, group of elves. And instead of making toys, if you haven't seen the movie, he wants to be a dentist. Um, And so him and Hermie link up and they run away together. And as they're trying to survive in the cold wilderness, they meet Yukon Cornelius, who is a uh, he's a miner, I guess he's no, no, no. He is a, um, a prospector. prospector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Prospector. And he is trying to find gold. And, um, you know, he was also an outcast, I guess. Uh, but they come together and they support each other and end up helping each other, uh, save Christmas. Um, so James, what do you think about the story of becoming and community in light of Christmas itself and other Christmas movies and pop culture? You know, it's interesting. Um, and even like early on in the film, like this notion of, you know, you're supposed to be a certain way, perform a certain way. Like, I think that still kind of goes on uh, with Christmas sort of Christmas culture today. Right. Like you think of like, Hallmark movies and, you know, uh, just this idea of Christmas is supposed to be like this big happy time and with family and it's supposed to be perfect. And if anyone has ever gone to any family Christmas dinner, gathering, whatever, ever, you know that like that's just like not true. (laughs) There's always some misfits around the table. There's always some stress and some tension. And um, so, I, I mean, I sort of like this as a reminder that like you know those no one's ever going to live into those those standards the, who creates the standards i mean i think that was even like part of one of the songs was like who who like makes the christmas rules i think like rudolph and hermie are like lamenting that as they're walking through the christmas tree forest or whatever um like who who created these arbitrary like you have to be this way or look this way or uh perform this role um and so i mean I I think there's like some early, I mean, this came out, I think in 64. And so like, yeah, there really is some early counterculture, like, you know, vibes going on where like the late sixties, you know, you get like hippie culture and like all that stuff happening. Like those were the misfits, right. Um, of the time. And so some more acceptance of deviation from, I guess the social norms. So I, I like this, this watch through Rudolph for me. I was like, this is sort of like a counterculture Christmas thing, except at the end where Rudolph ends up selling off, selling out to the man. You know, I was thinking as Rudolph was like mounting up to save Christmas, I'd have been like, yo, Santa, like 
that was not okay, bro. <laughs> I'm not about to save Christmas for you. <laughs> dude, I'm totally. I'm petty. No, no, no unions, you know, no like, hey, you're going to pay me for what I'm worth. We're going to we're going to update the ethics, you know, around here and, and, and make sure that people aren't getting bullied and, and getting, uh, you know, recognize me for my my red nose and saving Christmas. For sure. There's 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 a little bit of a. Uh, of cheap grace going on at the end of, of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, they're just like, I mean, they do apologize, which is meaningful, confession, but uh, they're just sort of forgiven without any sort of, you know, um, tangible accountability. <laughs> oh, yeah, well done. I really like, you know, I'm even thinking about how people have talked about kind of Christianity being absorbed into like the uh, the religion of empire and how, you know, Christianity was this countercultural thing with Jesus and and of course, uh, with its incorporation into Roman society and its uh, authorization of Caesars and things like that. And, uh, you know, Christianity becoming uh, domesticated to reinforce you know, societal norms. Uh, and, and even, uh, you know, that, that's just where my mind went as you were talking and seeing yeah. kind of Rudolph being this kind of countercultural, like, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's figure out how we address the whole being of a person like Hermie and Cornelius, um, right. and how we can, you know, there's this, there's good things, right? There's this reincorporation into society and saving Christmas or whatever, and including our misfit toys, but, uh, ultimately ends up reinforcing, um, you know, Santa's, uh, potentially questionable, uh, establishment yeah. of Christmas, you know? Right. You know, it's interesting. There's something like about the story, I think that does mirror like, or display the the message, like the content of like the incarnation of Christmas, you know, Ooh. like, uh, Christmas for all Jesus came to like the least and the lonely, right? They go to the Island of Misfit Toys. I guess that is Santa's accountability at the end, right? Santa does like go to the Island of Misfit Toys first on his Christmas run and like finds them all homes. Um, you know, so, so I guess, I guess there is some, I'll, I'll let Santa off the hook a little bit. Um, he, he does, he does some, he does some, he does some inner work there um, and, and owns up uh, to his mistakes. But, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, Jesus also like being an outcast, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jesus like was supposed to be part of the establishment. Like everyone expected that of the Messiah. Right. And Jesus, I mean, he didn't have a red nose, but he did have <laughs> his own way of, of doing things and interpreting the law and um, certainly of, um, of keeping his own misfit company. Right. Oh yeah. And so there's something, I mean, I think, you know, we, we think about Christmas as like the celebration of like those cultural norms and values that really aren't the norms and values that Jesus uh, wanted to, I think, came to put out there. You know, the, the inclusivity of Christ, the, you know, the bringing in of the misfits and the broken and the, and the poor, like those people would not have had a place at the reindeer games. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. So it's sort of, oh, man. Big thoughts about Rudolph over here. Big theological thoughts about Rudolph happening currently. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I really loved the uh, Santa does, like you said, he does. Uh, he maybe does a little repentance work and actually puts it into action. You know, a little sanctification going on. Uh, oh, I come yeah. from the holiness tradition, so sanctification is kind of a big deal. You know, is he is he entirely sanctified? Maybe not at the end of the movie. You know, but who knows? Santa's uh, he's still around. He comes around. Maybe on Christmas. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. That's right. You know, that's we're, right. we're growing more and more holy. 
Oh, amen. Amen. Yeah. So we, you know, we talked about Rudolph being an outcast and we talked about Jesus being an outcast. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about how that connects to the wilderness. But, you know, first Rudolph and Hermie run away from the North Pole because, um, you know, they're not accepted. You know, people are trying to change them, um, not listening to them, making fun of them. And so they go out into the wilderness and meet Yukon and they they basically live in the wilderness and journey in the wilderness. Um, and so a lot of times in literature, um, the wilderness represents uh, the transitional space for heroes or, you know, main characters. Um, you know, in my mind, even goes to Israel spending 40 years in the wilderness and Jesus spending 40 days fasting in the wilderness um, before starting his ministry. Uh, where one even encounters monsters or even, you know, the devil. So the Bumble is this giant Yeti monster uh, in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that lurks in the background, threatening our party of misfits. Um, But in the end, they not only defeat the Bumble, but they make him toothless and incorporate him into their family in the North Pole. And so, you know, I was thinking about this and I was like, most adventures defeat their monsters, um, but Yukon, in a way, forgives the Bumble and includes him in the community. Uh, so how does this relate to Advent, Christmas? You know, are we uh, is uh, is Rudolph taking us to a place that, um, you know, r- myths and stories don't don't normally take loving our enemies? I was watching, uh, I guess, the, the final fight scene between <laughs> Yukon Cornelius and the Bumble. And I was just like, yo, Yukon just is goaded Cornelius you Cornelius is goaded and my mother was like who is that I don't know who that is and I was like whoa wait a minute and we got a whole thing um do I even know you um but no he was just he was he said Bumble all I got for you is these hands and he made him toothless and he boxed him he pushed him over the cliff Bumble's bounce spoilers um but you know it, it's kind of interesting because like if you like think back to the beginning of the film where like Donner Rudolph's dad and Santa are just like ready to write Rudolph off, cover it up, don't talk about it, like, and then when it comes out, go away. You know, there's, like, no option for you to, like, assimilate or belong or be included here. But, like, Yukon Cornelius goes out of his way to, like, find the abominable, right? Like, the most scary monster in this Rudolph verse, this stop-action claymation verse, and, like, bring him in. Like, defeat him and then bring him in. Like, what does that imply for victory and and, and can you have victory if, if there is a loser? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so Advent, Christmas, um, you know, definitely the, the message of Christmas being inclusive, but also Advent of like hoping and waiting for God's kingdom, a different reality um, to come still today, you know? So, yeah. What do you think? Man. Yeah, I love that. I um. You know, as you're talking about, you know, Yukon is goaded because he really did at that fight scene. He's he's going just bare hands and he's like know, pushing like, the bumble out of the freaking cave. <laughs> that thing's like two stories tall. Right. I mean, wait up, wait. You know, Yukon, you know, my boy, he just he was just some some very positive masculinity there. You know, didn't dominate others, defended and then brought in. You know what I mean? Like use your strength in a um inclusive way (laughs) oh man so true he's like he experienced that he's by himself he's got his dogs or whatever and now these two young boys experiencing it and he's like all right let me take these boys under my wing you be you and we'll figure out a way together so you know so awesome right you know now his 
his uh, his capitalistic prospecting ways, his obsession with silver and gold. Mm. I don't know, but you know, no one's perfect. Yeah, you know, it's Rankin and Bass, a very Amer- pro-American, you know, early 1960s type of uh, American exceptionalism type of type of deal. So, you know, it's there. I think I think we're on the same page of like yeah, this is a absolutely. very neoliberal type of uh, type of Christmas text. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know, we won't we won't get too too deep into uh, some of the capitalist critique critiques of the show. But in the context, it's he's he's a very uh, he's a very he's he's an iconic ideal of what uh, what's the word? I'm, I guess healthy masculinity could be. Yeah, in our, healthy, our current yeah. system. Yeah, um, sure. and we need like I think one of the things right now that we're like searching for as a culture, as a society, especially like in the liberal progressive wings of that. Um, is like, you know, cancel culture, toxic masculinity. Okay, we get what's bad, you know, we get right. that. But like, what's actually good? There's been no like constructive dialogue on like what this looks like. Um, yeah. And so yeah. enter Yukon Cornelius. Oh, man. Yukon Cornelius, as <laughs> I love that. You know, we've taught, you've brought up deconstruction and just, you know, I think the tough thing for a lot of people who are deconstructing or trying to answer those questions is you got to, on the other side, you got to construct something um, right. if you're going to make meaning, um, even if it's not within Christianity, you know. And, right. Uh, Amen to that. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Sorry. Yeah. Well, this, you, now we've got, we've taken our question. We've talked about Yukon Cornelius and I love it. Um, so cool. Um, but I, you know, for the Bumble, cause I think maybe Cornelius might be the perfect person who was up against the, the abominable, uh, monster just because in myth and literature, monsters tend to reflect the negative nature of humanity. Right. And so whenever you read like werewolves and, and vampires, like there are these things that symbolize, um, you know evil or, or, or destruction within our own souls. And so the Bumble is this uh, outcast, right? He's this monster. He doesn't have anybody else, right? There's no other like Mrs. Abominable or, or whatever. And, um, you know, Yukon faces him, takes away the teeth, which makes him a monster and um, brings him a part of the misfit crew. And I think right. that, um, you know, if we're talking about Jesus being incarnated, coming um at christmas time and uh i think of joy to the world you know not just humans but all of creation are going to experience that um incorporation into the vision of what uh, the ideal vision of what creation can be which is um you know included in the loving and restorative uh mission of 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 christ as we see in the in the bible and then of course ongoing as we uh, yeah. are wrestling with faith. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Harmony with God and creation and like recognizing we're all different. Um, but there's a, there's a place for you at the table, right? Uh, you have a role and a function in the body of Christ, right? No, no one can put the star on the top of the Christmas tree without a step stool, like the bumble. Oh yeah. So sometimes you just gotta, uh, sometimes, you know what, ironically, sometimes you gotta go to the dentist and get those teeth taken care of. <laughs> So true. So true. <laughs> and and we got Hermie right there in the community now. Dang. Right, exactly. It all comes together. <laughs> I'm just uh now I'm just imagining uh Crunk now. Oh yeah, it's all coming together. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Uh, I want to so do a driving on that one. <laughs> oh yeah, the the Emperor's New Groove, uh, not talked about nearly enough. Oh no, it's a classic. It's incredible film. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we we talked about the Island of Misfits toys earlier, um, but, you know, as uh, the our misfit band, our, our kind of trio here is on on their way um, or navigating the wilderness, um, you know, the Island of Misfit toys becomes a refuge for them. Um, but we learn as they're there, they can't stay um, at the island long term. And they eventually return to the North Pole and inform Santa about the Island of Misfit Toys so that Santa can find a home for them. Um, which we've kind of talked about this with um, with the Bumble and the Abominable Snowman. But I think that um, if Santa actually is coming in and actually goes and stops and gets the toys and delivers them, finds them new home. Like what is the maybe maybe we're just kind of beating a dead horse in a different way. Um but, you know, I guess what what do you think is is there more to the um, include more to the story when we're just, we see the inclusion of the misfit toys? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I, I think of the misfit toys, I think about my own childhood, like when it was like not cool, when there was like no cool geek counterculture, at least I couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing I got was like going to GameStop as a child and being like, oh, there are others. Um, so... You know, I, I think that like finding community like with your people, um, if you're a misfit, there are other misfits out there and like and doing it together, like community is so important. Um, but also challenging other communities that like aren't inclusive, mm-hmm. you know, and we could like get lost in the weeds here about, you know, accountability and standards and all that stuff, because um, you want to be inclusive, but you also like don't want your community to get wrecked, but like those misfit toys, they just wanted to be loved. Right. Yeah. Don't we all want to be loved? Don't we all want to like live into our function of, of, or our, our deep need that God gives us to, to be loved by God and to be loved by others. Um, and so I think, you know, Santa, like realizing that at the end, um, like having his own sort of like personal narrative journey throughout the film of going from being, kind of an exclusive jerk to through like watching Rudolph's story, seeing what Rudolph can do, you know, really having all of those norms challenged and then coming out the other side um, and with some action, right. With some accountability um, as I realized. And so, you know, I think, you know, what it says about belonging, uh, even if we're a little bit weird, right. You know, we're systematic geekology. We've all got our, or weird geek things here. That's why, that's why we're here. That's why you're listening. Um, you know, it, it says, you know, belonging, inclusivity, all those things are always a goal that we have to be striving for. And so how can we be more welcoming? How can we be more accountable? How can we, you know, remind others who aren't, you know, like, Hey, we're still here and we still matter and, and all that stuff. Man. Super important. Yeah. So good. You know, I even think about too the, uh, in a, you know, just talking about what is the catalyst that kind of brings about um, that accountability and community and, and inclusion, but then, you know, kind of broadening that out um, and making it kind of a um, a pattern of life rather than just kind of a, um, a stop and go type of a thing. But I think about how the misfit toys in the island there actually showed hospitality first. Right. And how, and a lot of times, um, 
the marginalized and the oppressed and those on the outskirts are the ones that tend to show um, hospitality as opposed to the uh, the privileged and the rich, et cetera. And how even when Jesus talks about those who are blessed, you know, it's I think about the poor woman bringing the two pennies, mm-hmm. you know, to the to the offering. And he's like, you know, this is it right here. Um, worth more than everything that's been brought. And, um, you know, but in order for that to happen too, you need somebody to who's experienced that hospitality slash friendship to go and share that with people who may not um, have that experience. And so I think that's definitely part of it of like, um, and I think even in psychology, they talk about the best way to stop hatred, bigotry, um, you know, heal divides is when uh, somebody that you love and care about and value have uh, our friends with uh, with somebody that you would normally not uh, break bread with. So, yeah, we see Rudolph as also this bridge, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's, uh, you know, Rudolph, we, you, we first aired in 1964 and has aired every year ever since, making it the longest running Christmas special in the United States. Uh, what do you think he says about, uh, what do you think this says about the special? Uh, do you think the messages within it are still relevant? Do you think anything is outdated? Uh, you know, give me, uh, give me the tell all, James. You, you know, there's something liturgical about it, isn't it? Um, the fact that we like keep coming back over and over, like there's something like probably very core and key to what it means to, to be an American, uh, that's tied in with Rudolph. You know, you think about like the, sort of ethics of authenticity and being who you are and like not being afraid to be who you are at the core of like sort of American culture and American identity, especially since the sixties. Right. Um, you also think about, um, this idea that we can grow and change, um, and, and returning to that and, and watching all of these characters sort of, you know, see challenge, overcome it, change at the end. Um, and, and find their place. And I think that's what we all hope for. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the messages in this are, are pretty core to, to what it means to be, you know, to be American. That's why it keeps coming on year after year. Um, and so, I mean, in terms of the messages being relevant, I think I just, you know, answered that I think for sure. Um, in terms of anything being outdated, I don't know. I'm a sucker for like the stop motion claymation. Um, we could, we could, you know, get the frame rate up maybe a little bit. We could uh, get some higher resolution. But <laughs> um, so, you know, watching it in 2023, it's like there's something very nostalgic about watching it because I've known since it was noted since it was a kid i don't think you could do it any better like i just want the the original um it's like comfort food you know so oh, 100%. Um, yeah uh <laughs> but certainly certainly the outlooks at you know expressed at the beginning of the special are rather outdated and we're becoming even outdated in that time that's why you know that's the plot <laughs> so yeah i don't think i could you, yeah, I don't think I would add so much more. You kind of you kind of said everything, and we we talked a little bit about it. Um, I think before we were recording, but you know, just kind of the similar similar things where you know I've got all of the uh, oh you know the year without a Santa Claus, um, Jack Frost, all those stop motion Rankin Bass things. Like yeah, the frame rate and um, some of the production is obviously very outdated, being 
at this point over 50 years old but that's that's just the charm of it i'm a i feel like so my i i had said before we were recording that this might be my favorite stop motion kind of classic christmas tv special um but probably my favorite um christmas tv special of all time is the south park christmas critters christmas which is just hilarious and i think that uh you know because south park is obviously made to be made to intentionally look crappy and i think the raken and bass films uh definitely informed my aesthetic taste for uh (laughs) for animation um so um anyway just just kind of saying like I, i agree with everything you said i think that the maybe the only thing i would add is that like the um there's something American exceptionalism has developed into like this monster that we can't stop kind of like yeah, where it's, it's a sure. truck driving with dynamite in the back and the brakes are broken sure. type of thing. But also I think that growth is inherent into like, um, you know, the fabric of the universe. And I think that there's something here uh, in the story that pushes us forward and gives us at least hope for the future that we can grow and you you had had you had kind of you had hinted yeah. that that as well yeah I, I think like today i think about how that american exceptionalism like it's just you know being authentic and being yourself and being special like that's sort of gone off the rails right um a little bit and like we don't know what normal is anymore right. and like so what i would say watching rudolph now is like you know if you're special if you're different that's good but also if you're normal that's good too. And like, maybe you can be normal without also being a huge uh, jerk. Um, So that's like the, the C message of, (laughs) of of Rudolph for me is, you know, I I think, I think that's something we need to learn too, is like, you don't have to be shiny special all the time. Uh, You can, you can be, uh, you can be normal. You can be just, you know, and there's no pressure. So, yeah. So for yeah, me, yeah. Say, yeah, go for it. No, I was going to say, just based on what you said, the counterculture, it's the, uh, you know, uh, thinking of John Lennon saying, uh, you say I'm a dreamer, but uh, I'm not the only one. You know, it's this class, like Rudolph was a misfit, but he found out later, absolutely not the only one. And like you said, that uh, even in our sense of like this authenticity, like we find out that uh, there's people a lot like us or experiencing the same thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I think for me, this is, this, this might be my favorite sort of like Christmas story. Um, in general, I, I tend to be a bit of a Grinch myself, but this one has a soft spot in my heart. Grinch is probably up there for me. Um, my church, uh, our kids ministry, we did a random acts of kindness campaign and they, they, we had a Grinch we had a Grinchmas party at Sunday school oh, and I yeah. dressed up as the Grinch. So Grinch is up there for me. This one's up there for me. Um, and so uh, in, in the pantheon of, of Christmas stories, this is, this is, you know, close to a 10 for me personally. Mm, mm, mm. I'm, I'm there with you. And I think we're, we, I think we're kindred spirits in this way because the uh, Grinch is also probably in my top, top three for sure. Um, as far as like, you know, it's it's especially the how how the Jim Carrey's how the Grinch stole Christmas. It's over. I can quote that movie 
by heart. Right. So <laughs> oh, love that. Love that. Um, yeah. I had this whole like out of body experience moment when I like put the Grinch costume on and like walked through our worship service to collect the kids to go to Sunday school. Cause they like some of those little kids thought I was real and it was wild. <laughs> they were like, Oh my gosh, I saw you yesterday. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, I want to give a shout out to another one of my, uh, favorite Christmas specials, which uh, doesn't get enough love. This is a came out in 1999. So late 90s, early 2000s sort of vibe, but it's a spinoff of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the line, all of the other reindeer, all of, they made a movie called Olive the Other Reindeer. And it's just, you know, plain animation. And it's about a Jack Russell Terrier that wants to make it onto the reindeer team. Um, And her name's Olive. And you know what? She does it. So Shout out to all of the other reindeer. All of the other reindeer. I have not heard of that. I'm going to have to go and uh, and do some exploring. Yeah. Voiced by Drew Barrymore. No way. Drew Barrymore? I know, right? Star power. That's rad. That's rad. Well... Well, uh, you know, we I think we've come to the end of our uh, our, our questions here and, and discussion points about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But is there a, is there anything else you want to talk about before we sign off here, James? Any other points about Rudolph? Yeah, I just have a, you know, something to ponder. OK, um, was Rudolph's red nose a superpower? One, two, does that make Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer a mutant? You know, I just I think, was thinking about it as I was watching this, as watching it this time. Yeah, that's what uh, that's that's what you guys need to hit us up on the internet about. Give us your give us your thoughts. Is Rudolph uh, a mutant? Is a uh, is he a super reindeer? You know, I don't know. You tell us. We're still thinking through. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, I'll leave I'll leave the last thoughts uh, in your in uh, in your court. I'll let you have the last word on that, James. Uh, but you know, before before we go too. Uh, any recommendations besides uh, all of the other reindeer? Uh, that's one for me. If you haven't uh, watched The Grinch, go watch The Grinch this Christmas. Um, and, you know, I would just say to our listeners, find a way to tap into Advent. Um, there's some there's some nerdy, geeky ways to tap into Advent. I'm currently doing the uh, Pokemon Holiday Advent Calendar, which is not nourishing for my faith but is nourishing for uh, the geek in me and I'm, I'm tying it with another Advent practice. So uh, find a way to tap into the season, um, connect uh, to your faith and uh, uh, make some, make some time in the midst of all of the uh, holiday madness to uh, get some gaming in, do some reading, fill the geek part of your soul in Christmas. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of ways, you know, cause Advent just extends the Christmas season even longer. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a soul nourishing recommendation cause I've got, um, a, uh, an Advent devotion by Brian Zond called the anticipated Christ. And it is wonderful. Um, very short. Each devotion is like three pages with this old Testament reading, um, and a kind of liturgy, a guided uh, prayer for Advent. Um, and my wife and I have been doing it. Um, and it's, it's really, really well done. And I am a resistant person to devotions, uh, devotionals. Uh, and I, I I really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I think, I I think I'll keep my recommendations there, but you know, listeners, if you know, when you get on, um, you know, Twitter, YouTube, uh, find systematic ecology, Instagram, Facebook, 
let us give us your recommendations uh tell us if you've seen all of the other reindeer um tell us if rudolph is a mutant um you know we want to hang out with you on the internet and hear your thoughts uh tell us your favorite christmas movies yeah tell us your favorite what did, what did we miss what did we get wrong about rudolph what did we get right you know give us some praise we james and i need that in our lives but thanks for joining us uh and just remember we're all chosen people a geekdom of priests Hey guys, Christian here to talk to you about the Ant Network. That is the Amazon Ministries Podcasting Network. That's what we do for all of us here together. You can follow the whole network in a single feed on Spotify at Amazon Ministries Podcast or on the network page on Apple Podcasts to just see what we're all doing and what are we doing. Well, we have plenty of things here. We've got the homily. You love Pastor Will? You love? You want to hear Pastor Will preach? You hear the man doing a homily there? It's amazing. The man does spectacular work for Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Then we have the Whole Church Podcast. If you want to hear Joshua and TJ talk to different people from around the church who have very different views on how things should go, check it out there. If you want to go to my seminary life, you want to get some more Brandon Knight in your life, who doesn't want more of that? Go there, hear about the man, uh, discuss his time at seminary, which is what he used to do. Now he's on other topics, and just head out there for what the rest of the man can do. Uh, hear a lot of good stuff that way. Uh, now you can head over to Let Nothing Move You. That's my podcast where I go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I started with uh, with Luke, then I went to Romans. Now I'm in Genesis, and I'm moving on from there. It's a good time if you want to hear uh, how I view the Bible, how things should go there. You can do that. You can go to Dummy for Theology where you hear Joshua Noel discuss the various theological topics that he, he has there in the temp to show every side of big discussions. Leaving you with more questions and answers. If that infuriates you like me, but you still want to listen, head out that way. You can go to the Bible After Hours. We have the foul mouth preacher there, and he's going to deliver things that are not ready for every ear to hear. But sometimes you need someone to be a little filthy out there just to give a more progressive view of the church to challenge the status quo of what is happening here. Do you agree with him? Do you not like him? How are you going to know if you don't listen to him? And finally, we have uh, say best for last, the Clydes. Taylor and Elizabeth Clyde, you need some more pangalangan in your life, like all of us do, then head out there, see what's going on in their own life, in their own ministry, so you can hear the devotions and everything going on in their lives. Uh, once again, that's the Anna's Out Ministries Podcasting Network, AMP, and we love you guys. See you next time.